Hey, it's LTE, podcast by the RG Opinion page. I'm your host and producer, Brendan O'Mara, at Brendan O'Mara on the Twitters. You can subscribe to LTE wherever you get your podcasts. It's free, so come on in. The water's fine. You can follow the show on Instagram at registerguard underscore opinion. Today's guest is Eli Reyes Santos, and her most recent column is up on the RG website about how communities of color are coping or not coping during the uh, pandemic and what allies can do to help. It's a very resourceful thing. I recommend checking it out online. Tons of links. Go diving down some rabbit holes. This was recorded before the protests and the civil unresting, so there's no mention of that. I tried something new as well where I edited myself out of the conversation. Lately, I've wanted to disappear from the face of the earth, so this was the only way I knew how. Let me know if you dig it. Or not. It's up to you. Okay, here's a lie. Enjoy. I think there's the news that you get on the media and then there's news that you get in community forums and talking with people all over the state and also the nation. And um, I have to be honest with you, in April, as I was trying to write about it, I just felt so much pain and anger. I could barely put things together in a way that made sense. Um, And then I realized I have to find a way to make this information accessible to people. And that way, at least I feel like I can share the pain, you know, can be channeled into something that's productive and people can better understand why things are happening the way they're happening. Why? Why is it that the death of George Floyd will be so devastating right now for not only black communities, but you've seen how Asian American communities are organizing, Native American communities are organizing and saying that people dying in these ways for being racially profiled is unacceptable. And why that matters in the middle of a pandemic. Um, Then you start reflecting about people right now, like having stay-at-home orders, but having to go to work, right? Having to go to the grocery store, having to go to a pharmacy. And the fact that you have to be afraid for your life as you're trying to care for your family and your community in the middle of a moment where there's a public health crisis uh, all over the world. Um, for me, when I look at that, you know, all that I can do is think about what are the statistics, what are the um, the historical precedents, why is this more heightened right now? And so I just start talking with people everywhere and see what they think. I start reading everything that you can find and see what other people are thinking and what are the solutions they recommend to address these issues and try to find a way to share that with as many people as I can. And what would you say your your research through the people and channels that you uh, swim in, so to speak? What has uh, what has your research turned up in the last uh, you know few weeks uh, that I think you've channeled most likely and brilliantly challenged uh, ch- uh, channeled into your most recent piece for the Guard? Yes, you know I think something that's become really clear um, as I you know I, I've been in webinars with the Anti-Discrimination League of the Pacific Northwest, um, also in some spaces hosted by the NAACP chapters, by Beyond Toxics, and um, in different kinds of water advocacy spaces as well, thinking about access to clean water for people right now, um, whether it's in prisons or detention centers or in farms, for example, um, or just on the streets. So people who work on different ways outside of their home, do they have access to clean water? Something that has come up become really clear is that 
communities of color are really facing a significant economic, health, mental, emotional toll right now, right? It's like, and it's a toll that is already costing lives uh, when we look at the statistics of how the high rates of deaths among communities of color. I mean, you look at the Navajo, Navajo Nation has the um, highest per capita rate of people um, getting sick with the virus, right? You look at other indigenous communities in the Southwest also facing similar numbers and um, trying to basically use very limited, already they have limited healthcare capacity to provide to their community and now having to ask for help from the federal government and to not be receiving that aid in a timely manner um, throughout the U.S. and indigenous communities. I mean, the death rates of um, black people in Chicago in mid-April, 72% of people dying of the virus in Chicago were black uh, in mid-April. Uh, you look at Latino communities uh, in Oregon, 30, 33% of the cases are Latino in Oregon, while the population of Latino people here are uh, around 13%, right? And those are just some numbers, right? So I've been collecting all these numbers and thinking about already these communities are being overly represented in terms of infection and in terms of deaths. But if you look at hunger, if you look at the fear of homelessness, if you look at the fact that hate crimes have gone up since January, um, Asian and Asian American communities were the first ones to report it and the first ones to experience it, people being spit in their faces on the street, right? Like um, Chinese communities experiencing this on the street. Um, but now um, in recent conversations with people, uh, people are talking about how anti-black racism somehow has been become a way of like targeting now black communities as like somehow being sites of infection, right? Uh, are being blamed for being infected or Latino communities being blamed for being um, overrepresented in the statistics around getting ill and death. When the truth is that many times they're getting sick because they're in workspaces where they don't have washing stations because they're in workspaces where they're essential workers, right? Like they're in hospitals, they're nurses, they're the ones taking care of people who are dying. Um, they're the ones who are bringing food to people's homes, right? Delivery. Um, and so there's no appreciation for that labor and the fact that they're exposing themselves so that the economy can keep moving somehow. And also, yes, I, you know, I think, I mean, I do have to say that the beautiful thing is seeing people mobilizing and sharing that kind of solidarity uh, with others um, and like being very public about it. I think, um, you know, I've been talking with people about, um, for example, people here in Eugene talking about being afraid of going to the grocery store. Uh, being afraid of asking for delivery and that people will see who they are when they open the door and they're afraid of a racist incident, right? Mm. Um, and I was amazed me that when we have these conversations in some of the spaces that are quite racially mixed um, around different kinds of community advocacy, feeling different communities being in solidarity with each other, even if they don't experience it themselves, but having the solidarity to stand next to each other, that has been really empowering and beautiful, right? And I think that, you know, I'm trying to hold on to that as well, to that possibility. You know, I've been talking with people who are now trying to advocate, you know, for example, for funding that goes directly to indigenous-led and people of color-led organizations, um, tribal communities and organizations, to make sure that they have the information they need about, for example, new programs helping to cover rent or to cover utility costs, Right. Um, or programs to make sure that people don't go hungry. Like there's all these programs that some that are emerging as well. There's some good news um, here in Oregon in particular, right? Like where where we live. 
And the sadness is that people don't know that they actually exist. Like if I could tell you all the people, including students at University of Oregon who have had to somehow go back home because their parents um, had to stop working and they, they, don't, they don't know that they qualify for unemployment, for example, or they don't know that there's a new aid for rent, for paying rent. So I have students taking a full course load, working the regular job they work, and uh, doing delivery of food to be able to pay for their parents' rent and their rent. And they just don't know that there's actually resources to support them, that they don't have to do this on their own, right? So, but the reason that why that's the case is because information is shared in very specific venues and it doesn't reach communities of color, right? So it's been amazing to see a variety of white allies and community of color advocates saying, please just give the funding to indigenous communities and communities of color, organizations who are already providing mental health services, for example, um, uh, something that we've been hearing from, for example, um, Ontario, is communities who need mental health services right now because they're losing everything. The little thing they have, they're losing it. So having access to Oregon healthcare systems, it's not that those systems don't exist, it's that people don't know how to access them and they don't know how to uh, apply for them. So that's one of the things that has been really empowering to see is people advocating for federal stimulus funding to go also to minority-owned businesses um, that right now um, may be going bankrupt. We may, may, we may be losing a lot of those businesses if we don't support them, and also both in terms of consumers going and supporting them, but also in terms of state investing in those businesses so that they don't actually go, um, go bankrupt at this time. And once you lose businesses, you're actually losing the economic health of the whole community. One, because they provide services, and two, because they provide jobs, and three, because they're actually producing wealth within the community and in the overall economy, right? So it's been really empowering to see people advocating in particular for like pushing for funding and really funding to go into those spaces uh, where people know how to talk to communities of color. That's been really important. And dealing with hunger, right? Like dealing with the fear of hunger has been really central. I've seen so many initiatives right now, NWCP and CAL, Community Alliance of Lane County, are going to have free meals on Fridays, right? So important. Um, we have right now one in four families have gone unemployed in the last month. Mm. 40% of people making less than $40,000 are unemployed right now. Like we're talking about people who make the less now making nothing. So these are all questions that really impact communities of color because of their underrepresentation in low-income communities. Um, so those are all some of the things that I've been thinking about, researching, also talking with people about their fear of going to doctors uh, because of documented bias and racism in medical offices and where people feel like they don't take me seriously. Um, you know, I went and they just didn't take me seriously. And there's research about it that shows that people of color, for example, in pain, don't receive the same medication as their white counterparts, for example. So these are all things that right now we need to start talking about as well, I think, in terms of medical establishments. Um, and not forget that it's life and death questions. Um, and if people are afraid of leaving their house for basic things, we have issues. We have a public challenge in our communities um, that we need to address. And if people are afraid of protesting or stating their ideas, that also is a public health challenge right now as well. What inspired me to write this piece um, definitely was people asking me, what's happening with indigenous communities and people of color? Um, how is it, what are the specific ways in which 
uh, white allies um, can support communities of color, um, what kinds of public policies we should be pushing for. And so like, I just kept being in these conversations and feeling like, let's just see if we can at least put something very direct, very short, um, also with hyperlinks on the online version though, so that if people want to learn more and find the research themselves or make the connections with uh, different uh, organizations they can through the online version. But thinking about even just educating oneself and other people about what's happening, right? Like such an easy way to be in solidarity with people of color. Um, questioning racism, xenophobia. Uh, if you see it happening, you know, say something. And there's plenty of bystander trainings that you can find online to figure out how to do that in a respectful way and in a safe way. Um, supporting businesses of people of color supporting indigenous efforts to keep gathering rights, fishing rights, hunting rights right now, because those food sources are essential for native peoples. Um, allowing basically for federal aid and state aid to um, not require so much documentation and IDs so that migrants and house people and queer people can actually survive loss of income and hunger right now and illness as well, right? Um, so, these are some examples of some of the ideas that people are like throwing around in different forums about how to support communities of color. It's just one starting point for a conversation. I share them very humbly. But for me, it was just a way of engaging that conversation about how to be in solidarity with our communities. Mm -hmm.